episode 51 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. I'm Brett Nolan of AppAddict.net, and with me as always is Trevor Sheridan of App Advice. In this episode, Trevor and I are running on short fuses as we participate in medieval battles and drop the letter U from our vocabularies. How are you doing tonight, Trevor? Doing good. This is a pretty fun and eventful week for just being January, you know, of the year. Yeah, I mean, this was a nice week for, uh, we had one Apple story and like a neat little app and so a bunch of good games. And I know this coming week, there's even more great games coming. So uh, the, the App Store is definitely hitting a nice stride. And so we'll start off with that big Apple story. And the HomePod that we've talked about, Much Maligned, is actually has a release date and a pre-order date. So this Friday, January 26th at midnight, or midnight on Thursday before the Friday, you can pre-order the HomePod, and it's going to cost $349, and it's shipping to arrive on February 9th, and that's when it's going to be available in stores. And it's pretty funny that after all this time, so Apple missed the Christmas break, and then they're not even going to save the HomePod until some spring event. They're just kind of silently pushing it out with a little simple press release. Yeah, I mean, it's like at this point, I think they're just trying to get money back. They they missed that that massive holiday window where all of these other devices that are similar were selling like crazy. They were pushing them like crazy. Amazon was pushing their Echo stuff, putting it all on sale. Google came out of nowhere with their Google Home thing, pushing that with commercial after commercial. And those probably sold pretty well. We, I mean, we know that Amazon said that Amazon devices had their best holiday yet with tens of millions of Alexa-enabled devices sold worldwide. That doesn't necessarily mean Echoes, but I know that Echo Dots were selling very well, and Echoes, I think, were selling well. So who knows? I mean, at this point, Apple is just playing catch-up, and they have the most expensive item out there that I don't know how well this is going to do. Yeah, even if you compare it to the Sonos speakers that have Alexa built in, those are 200 bucks. So if you just like went a pure music direction, Apple's still charging $350. And it's interesting because Phil Schiller has that usual marketing speak, and he positions this as a magical new music experience from Apple. So not mentioning home connectivity or Siri-enabled voice assistant, just pretty much a music device that has these advanced audio techniques like beam-forming tweeters, high-excursion woofer, and automatic spatial awareness, as well as connecting to their entire Apple Music service. So it's really interesting how Apple's doesn't even want to compete in that space because they know they can't compete on price. They can't really compete on having the whole infrastructure built up because no one's ever listened or used this device. No one knows how well it works with Siri or if any of those magical new audio technologies work that well. So they're kind of just going a completely different route. Right, yeah. And I don't know, just with the proliferation of all of these Alexa devices coming into people's houses, I know I tend to use Alexa way more than I use even Siri on my own phone. And I think the big selling point for them is to have that hook into Apple Music. So if you are an Apple Music subscriber, to have that way to just easily play it. And this could thing could sound amazing, but to be honest, I probably wouldn't even notice the difference. I might notice a little bit of a difference, but 
to me, another speaker that costs a hundred dollars less probably sounds to my ears just as good as this thing that's like a hundred dollars more. So I just can't get behind this, and I just wonder how many people are going to actually be buying this. I bet you they're not staying up till three in the morning East Coast time to pre-order <laughs> this thing, or if they do, they didn't need to. Yep, and also just that whole Siri idea. Apple specifically mentions that Siri has a deeper knowledge of music, not a deeper knowledge of connecting all smart home accessories in your house or any kind of help with turning on the TV or the lights or changing your thermostat or anything like that. Even though Apple has that whole home app, they have the technology built in and ready to use, but they're just completely removing that idea. It's built in the features are there but they're just not positioning and advertising it in that space yeah yeah. i mean it's kind of funny how they did they were like first out of the gate with this this assistant digital assistant with siri and they were pushing it hard and now it seems like the innovation in that area specifically is from these other companies with Google and and Amazon. And I know with Amazon every single week, I get an email of new stuff that Alexa can do and new stuff to try with Alexa. I don't see that from Apple. Like Apple, we don't see them constantly pushing out, hey, try this with Siri or do this with Siri. It's kind of almost been forgotten. Like they they were out of there. They wanted to show everyone that this, this is the future, but then they didn't do much with it. It kind of just, it's part of our system, but it's there and some people use it, but we don't really innovate there. I I don't know. It's very weird. Definitely. That's the best way to put it. It's kind of this part of Apple that they just kind of hide and mention it passing if it's WWDC or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hey, they'll use it for like a joke or something, but They don't really do a lot with it anymore. And then speaking of WWDC, in 2017, when Apple first announced the HomePod, they also announced AirPlay 2 would be coming, and there's no official date on it. So it was supposed to come with iOS 11, then it was going to be postponed to the launch of the HomePod, and now it's just listed as sometime later this year. So that could be with the HomePod, that could be in December. We don't really know. And AirPlay 2 matters to the HomePod because if you want to use two HomePods in stereo or have multi-room audio, you need AirPlay 2. So hopefully that is actually coming. And if not, that makes selling two of these, you know, for that $700 that you're just ready to spend that much more of a tough selling point. I think it's already a tough selling point to sell one. To sell people two of these, I I don't know who's buying this, but... I guess the multi-room audio might be more of a selling point if you're going to be buying multiple of these devices, but who's really going to hook these things up and put it in stereo? If it sounds that great coming from that single speaker, do you really need two of them in stereo? I don't know. This is just a strange product that's arriving way too late. Yeah, and... I think it just Apple, like you said at the start, that they just need to get it out, recoup any cost that they can and move on and focus back on their usual watch, Mac, iPhone and iPad, because this one certainly is not hidden it. Even the AirPods are doing much better than this even potentially ever could. 
Yeah, it's just they seem to have a bunch of these misses lately where they have all this fanfare for this innovative new product that comes out and then they just let it wither and die. Like the same with that little touch bar on the on the Mac. We never saw much come with that. Like they, no one ever really did anything with it. And now you just hardly even see it mentioned anymore. And I'm wondering if this is the way the HomePod's going to go. They they have to kind of make this big deal of it coming out to try to get people to buy it. But is this going to be like a one generation thing and then it's just going to die away and ne- nothing's ever really going to be done with it? Yeah, you could argue the same thing for the Apple TV App Store. You know, developers were all in on it. But now if you check kind of the featured section beyond the top, you know, you have Netflix, Hulu, HBO, Showtime, everything that you would expect. But in terms of new games or new apps that are specifically made for the Apple TV or going to control your home or any kind of Apple TV uniqueness, there isn't anything really there. Apple updated for 4K, and that seems to be all they're going to do with the Apple TV. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And so that kind of goes hand-in-hand with Apple needing some good PR. And so what they did was Apple's kind of used the Trump tax plan to their advantage to have positive light on what they're going to do. And so with that new tax plan, there's a one-time 15% tax rate exemption for the first time that you use it before it goes up to the 20% standard rate for all corporations. And so Apple has $269 billion in cash outside the U.S., and they're going to bring back $252 billion of it. So that's 94% of it, and they're just going to pay a tax bill of $38 billion. And that $38 billion is probably really well-spent PR in our current landscape in the U.S. Right, yeah, and they they get the the nice warm fuzzy feeling of bringing all this money back into the u.s people love that that now it's going to be in the u.s so yeah i don't i don't know any other reason why they would do it i mean i I guess yes you're taking advantage of this short little window that you have to take advantage of this special 15 percent but there doesn't seem any other reason other than to be doing this as a pr move yeah because Apple was paying 0%. So 15% is more than 0%, no matter what math you use. So the only real incentive is that PR. Because also they were talking about building additional campuses across the U.S. And it could create up to 20,000 new jobs over the next five years. But that's just their plan going forward. Not tied to the tax plan in any way. Just their expansion as a company. Right, right. Yeah. And hey, I don't know. It's... it. Good for them, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's pretty much the Apple news for the week. Again, you can pre-order that HomePod starting this Friday, January 26th. I'm up at 3 a.m. I got to get mine. Yeah, get those alarms set. (laughs) And so for new apps, since we did talk about Google a bit, they have an app. It's called Google Arts and Culture. And this might be the trendiest app right now because it seems everyone is trying out this specific feature, which is this selfie match feature that lets you take a picture and then it will scan its database of historical artistic paintings and then try to provide a match between your face and various portraits and people in all kinds of paintings from the past. Usually the matches are about 40 to 60 percent and really it's more humor than like super accurate thing but it's always easy to see 
why the app picked it. You can see certain details and distinctions in your face or friends' faces with the faces from various paintings. Yeah, it's pretty sad that this is the one feature because there's a lot of beautiful art within this app that you can look at. But this seems to be the one feature that caught on and the whole reason why people are even looking at the app. And I tried it out and I did get a a number of them that were up as high as I think 69 percent was as high as I got. And I could like you said, I could definitely see that guy, that particular person in that photo. Yeah, it's a woman, but she has my big nose or this guy has my same curly hair. So you can definitely see why it picks certain things. And then as you get lower percentage ones, you're like, I don't even see what they did. But the higher percentage ones, you can definitely pick out some of the the features within yourself and the reason why they match. And some of them are hilarious. Some are pretty dead on. And then the rest are just kind of blah. It's pretty funny that you mentioned funny because that seems to be the main appeal. You can search hashtag Google Arts on Twitter and Instagram and find all kinds of people who have done their own matches and celebrities are really getting in on it. And those probably provide the funniest ones. I know like the most trendiest ones are from Kate Hudson matching Portrait of a Boy and then Kristen Bell matching this super old guy. And just stuff like that gets all these other people to then try it, post it, and send this continuous loop. And then, like you said, it's kind of sad that the most renowned feature of this app is a funny, goofy little inclusion rather than all the neat features and practical features that are included in that it has this whole database of over 1,200 museums. If you go to a museum that's featured in the app, you can take photos or just point your camera at the images and get the full detailed results. There's all kinds of curated content, so you can sort and search all these paintings based on time period or country of origin or even color scheme just to see how all these artists and paintings match up. And then you can also go and dive into street views of like the Palace of Versailles or see... 360 degree videos of various locations and there's all this kinds of wealth of information of artistic knowledge to access in the app and maybe just maybe that selfie feature gets people in the door and then they can kind of go and explore and see what else the app has to offer though i know that's asking a lot yeah although i this i started i went in to look at this feature and then i started exploring the app and those 3d street i mean the street views are gorgeous like it feels like you're really at these famous locations that you go to and you can tour them virtually and it's the quality of the the graphics is amazing on it yeah and then you have the whole uh gyroscope to pan it around and then there's a vr mode if you have that vr capable device or i guess you can set up your phone with that with the google cardboard and just even you know you can go check a local museum like i can look at the getty museum and see their entire gallery of everything and then you get to have there's specific things about in this collection like you can see van gogh's irises and view the information about it, the details, which that would help you at the museum, but you can just browse the museum pretty much from your home without, you know, just from the comfort of your device. And then all the artwork in the app is super high resolution that if you zoom in 100% on these images, you can see the individual brush strokes of the art, which you're not going to really see, you know, when they have that big coned off or blocked off area around the painting, you can only get so close. 
Yeah, the the one thing I will say about that whole searching nearby for a local museum, the results that come back were kind of screwy with it because the top results it showed me were like 170 miles away. And I had to scroll down through a few different results to then see one that was in Boston, like 30, 35 miles away. Then it went back to others that were like 180 miles away. Then I might have another one that's near Boston. And it, it didn't seem to like put the closest ones up first. It seemed to almost be favoring certain museums. I don't know if it's those are sponsors and that's why they appear first, but I wouldn't call 170 miles nearby. Yeah, that's weird because mine is. I have the Pasadena Museum of Art. It's five miles away. And then LACMA, the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, is 19 miles. And then Getty is 25 miles. So maybe it just depends on where you live. Yeah, it could be. But it's a pretty neat app. That selfie thing is fun, but I'm sure you'll get bored. After you take it one or two times, it, you get the same kind of results. You can change your expression and you might get a few different results. But for the most part, you kind of get your fill of that. And then you can go explore all that the app does have to offer. Yeah, you definitely should dig into it because there's a lot of good stuff in there. And so that's Google Arts and Culture. It's free. It's universal. That means it's time for some new games. And the first one is a sequel in which I didn't play the original, but I don't think that matters. You can fully dive in and enjoy what Hero Academy 2 has to offer. And there really is a lot. So it's a turn-based strategy game set up in this kind of arena-based field or dungeon. And, you know, it has that grid layout. And you drag cards onto the battlefield to create those heroes. And then you try to destroy the diamonds of your opponent. Or some specific missions have you just destroy all of your enemies' heroes. And so it's a constant balance. You have the usual things where you have a certain number of mana each card that you're going to play costs a certain mana, so you have to balance that out as you play the cards. And then once your heroes are out on the battlefield, they have two moves, which can be used to move forward or attack. And your goal is to really take out your opponents because you know that they also have the ability to counter your attack. So say you attack someone and they have three attack power, you have one attack power, they have two heart. You only take out one of their hearts, so they still have heart left. They attack you back for those three attack points. You only had two hearts, and so your enemy gets defeated, or your hero gets defeated, even though you're on the attacking party. And then it could be flipped on the reverse side. So every single battle has all these mini little moves to deal with. So it has that kind of base core of chess built up with more advanced and complex characters and heroes. And then you also have multiple decks to access and then build your own custom deck as you go and play online. So there's a whole kind of single-player campaign as well as online multiplayer. Yeah, unlike Trevor, I played a ton of the original <laughs> Hero Academy. When this first came out, I was so addicted to this. I had so many matches going all the time. So the, the big differences between... Uh, besides graphical uh, fidelity and the usual upgrades, I mean, it's been seven years since the original came out. The two big changes that they made to this game are previously the matches were always asynchronous. So you could take your time, you could plan out your entire moves, you actually had a whole undo. So you could play through a whole bunch of different strategies undo everything, try again, see what would give you the best bang for your buck, and then say, I'm good, I'm happy with those moves, submit. 
and then all your your characters all the things you did would go to the other player and then they would have to deal with whatever damage you did to their their people this time around it's still turn-based so you're still taking turns but it you have to be online and it's all in real time so there's a more frenetic pace to everything this time around where you're forced to make moves quickly there's a timer going and if you take too long it starts to beep and then it forces you to try to quickly make the rest of whatever moves you have to use up whatever rest of your action points you're going to use or do you save some for the next turn but it, it just has a much faster feel to it because there's always that time pressure of getting everything done. So I kind of like it and I kind of don't. I do like that everything moves faster and I don't have to worry about the person never making their moves or all of a sudden the game withering and dying because the person decided, completely forgot about it. And so you know that everything's going to end within a certain amount of time and you're going to play through it. I am not a fan of that whole fact that you have to be online to play because people that commute or something where they may, or maybe you're on a plane or something and you don't have Wi-Fi, you can't play it. And I think that's, that's an annoying thing. The other big part is that whole card system where now you can create your own custom deck and you're unlocking these card packs and you get those rare cards. You can craft cards from cards that you already have. They have this whole ink system where you can use that to craft either a particular card or take a random card. And depending on how much ink you use, it will decide if it's like a rare or a legendary or how good the card could be. The problem with that is that could potentially lead to like a pay to win scenario where someone who's willing to spend money on card packs and you do earn them at a fairly nice clip, but someone who's willing to spend the money to buy the stuff they need to get the best possible cards is going to have the best deck going in. Granted, if you know how to use your deck, you could probably beat someone that has great cards, but doesn't know how to use them. So there are some equalizers there, but I'm kind of concerned in the long run, you're ha going to have people that are, don't mind just tossing cash at things and will be just beating the crap out of you all the time. But that being said, I am back to my addiction. I love this game. It is so good. I'm hoping that they bring in a lot of the other uh, hero types that they had in the original game. So in the original one, there were a bunch of different factions and you actually purchased whole factions. That's how they monetized the original. You would, if you wanted to bring in a new faction, you would buy it. And so this one, you're, it's more individual cards, but the cards belong to certain factions. And then you eventually have to get enough cards within a particular faction to then unlock that next faction. But it looked like there was a lot of overlap in the cards for the three remaining factions that you don't unlock really quickly. I'm hoping that there's more of this stuff added over time, but they've done a really nice job of kind of bringing back this iOS classic, but updating it to give it more of a modern feel and I did go back and I had to load it on an old device because it doesn't support iOS 11, the original, and it, it looks so old compared to this when you play the two side by side. So they, I, the Robot Entertainment did such an excellent job of just bringing back this classic. I was shocked to see it and very happy to see it as well. And even though, you know, I know you're super familiar, but even not being familiar, I was just really blown away by how accessible it is because there's a lot going on you know there's a lot of details 
and just elements to the game. A lot of subtleties to figure out and just variations and card types and ways to play. And they just make it really friendly and familiar even though it's such a complex style of game. I think it's because, you know, it has elements of other games where, you know, it has that Hearthstone card battling idea and then it's set on that familiar kind of head-to-head grid. So it lets anyone, whether you played the first one, whether you play that many games on iOS, it just makes it as easy to play as possible for someone new. And then you can fully dive into that online mode that you're playing. But even just that single-player campaign was surprisingly enjoyable with a lot of depth and a lot of different ways to play because they have special missions and then you kind of build your way up through different deck types like you're going to start out with the standard heroes then you have more dark elements and then you have more natural elements and you're just going to play your way through and everything that you do is going to help you level up and then those cards that you earn are then going to be added to your deck I know what you're saying about the buy or not buy to win, but at least buy to give you an advantage to less grinding, less, you know, getting in the way. They have ways to kind of avoid that, but I kind of don't blame them of giving that option just because it's the path of least resistance to make additional money. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I don't blame. I mean, this is the type of game that you would have to do that sort of thing. in. so I definitely don't blame for doing I just could see where it may be an issue with someone who's willing to spend tons of money, but any of these type of games are going to have that problem. So it's, it's nothing new here. And as far as the single player campaign stuff goes, they did an excellent job with that because it, it teaches you all the different cards and how to use them and teaches you some basic strategy with the different cards. So you're not going to get blown away and you can learn how best to use these cards. And I played through all of the, the free campaigns that they've had. And I'm up to the point where I got to earn some of the gems in order to unlock more of these, but it is really well done. And you do learn a lot of crazy stuff and it mixes everything up by going through all those different campaigns. Yeah, they really did an excellent job. They kind of nailed every aspect. And like I said, I'm not familiar with what's been improved, but just taking Hero Academy 2 as a standalone game, it really does an amazing job in turn-based strategy games and is definitely one of the best out there. Yep. And so it's free, it's universal, and then there's going to be paid content in various areas like card packs and card decks and all that good stuff, unlocking additional portions of the campaign, so keep that in mind. Yep. And so next up is It's Full of Sparks. It's published by Noodle Cake, and it's a quick action platformer game where you just have to guide your little firework from point A into point B, and that point B is a body of water, so that way he can diffuse his spark because fireworks want to keep living, and if their spark or their flame goes all the way down, they're going to explode. So you want to get rid of that little spark. And so to help him get there, you have a limited amount of time. And then as you go through the levels, they're going to introduce these little colored blockades where you have to put on, you know, these red glasses. And now you can see these red elements. And then there's a red button on the right side of the screen. You tap that and that red blockade disappears. But a red bridge might disappear too. So then you have to tap it again once you pass the blockade to then cross the bridge. And then they introduce a green. They introduce a yellow. And the levels become more and more complex as you have to flip these different colors around to make it 
from point A to point B. And it kind of reminded me of Chameleon Run in that color switching, which is also from Noodle Cake, but now in a more, not necessarily slow pace, but not as action-packed, not as like quick auto-runner, because you do have to move the fireworks by themselves, but still a similar kind of a game. Yeah, you you have to move quickly because you have a very limited time to complete the level. And the faster you complete it, the more of the stars you'll get. But if you take too long waiting for any one obstacle or kind of try to take your time switching on and off like a bridge and then turning off the rock in front of you and then getting by it, turning back on to bring back a bridge of like another color, you try to be methodical about it and you're going to run out of time and your guy's going to explode, then you got to try again. And the whole thing with this is it's a free game but you have a limited number of lives before you then have to do something to earn more of the lives whether you watch a a video to get one for free or you oh actually you earn them slowly for free but then you can watch a video and get like 15 more but you're going to burn through some of these and some of the levels especially if you're trying to get all the stars it you gotta you're going to burn through them quicker and quicker and quicker and each time it's kind of cute when you start a new level, they give you the name of your new firework. So this is Bob and it's like some firework that comes out or this is uh, some insert girl name here, girl that's there. And then it just all random names for these same little fireworks that pop up, but it's kind of a cute little aspect of the game that now this is your, your character. You're hoping he doesn't die and you're trying to make it through. And after you make it by like the first grouping of levels, then the levels in the second uh, set tend to be a little even more puzzly, where now you got to like go on various like platforms that rotate. And so things start to get trickier and trickier, and they give you a little more time, but it's still always that time crunch so that you don't blow up before you can make it to the end. And it really is that difficult balance. If you just try to complete a level, they're simple enough. But if you try for three stars, that's on some levels it's practically impossible. But even two stars is a challenge in its own right because it's like complete this level in five seconds. So you got to tap red, blue, yellow, really, or red, green, yellow, really quick to be able to make it through. And the only problem with that for me is that since they're on screen buttons, I forget which one's which so I have to purposely look over there but if you have to look at the buttons you're not looking at your spark or your firework and you know it's just even that millisecond can disrupt your timing or throw you off and then you lose or I think I'm pressing the yellow I know the yellow's right here but it was actually red and so that boulder you just smack right into it it doesn't disappear and that happens most of the fireworks that I lost were that reason And then since they build their in-app purchase system based on lives, essentially, it makes each life feel more important. You know, in a regular platformer game, when you lose a life, it's like, no big deal, I'll just restart. But this game, each one, you know, you're that much closer to having to watch a video ad or just stop playing entirely or spending money. Right, yeah. If you had physical buttons, I think it would be a lot easier because you would have that 
tactile feel to know exactly which button you want to press where I did the exact same thing as you where I had to keep looking at the screen to make sure I was going to press the right one because it's basically just a stack of three buttons and I had to keep looking over to make sure my finger was over the right one where on a physical controller if I had I didn't I don't even know if this supports a physical controller I didn't try it but it would you could have your finger hovering and you just have that muscle memory of knowing which direction to kind of shift your finger and press it down to hit the right button where on a screen you don't have that sense of location of your finger just hovering over this little stack of buttons but yeah and you can if you wanted to spend 2.99 and just not have to deal with the lives i mean you will have a new firework that shows up each time but you have unlimited fireworks so if you're someone who doesn't want that annoyance of having to watch ads or or watch a video to get some lives or just wait to get lives then you can pay and then you have unlimited lives but it's it's still a fun game, especially free. And once you start to get into those more complex levels, some of those I almost wish I didn't have that time crunch so I could think about it a little bit more and play through it because they do start to get more and more complex. But it is almost kind of like a speed run puzzler. And it's a kind of a unique feel to it. And it's just that one little thing with the buttons that tripped me up. Yeah, and it's when you get to three buttons. With two buttons, I had no problem because you know... One's on the top, one's on the bottom. But with three buttons, the stack, it just you can't ever seem to press where you want to. And I like the idea of Speed Run Puzzler, but this game might be better suited as just a pure puzzle platformer. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 there is something, or just have an option where you can play without the time crunch. If you just want to play through, maybe you just do it in a practice mode or something so you can practice the level before you have to speed run it. But something where you could eliminate that little time crunch if you just want to have the experience of going through the puzzle part of it and, and doing the level. Yep. And so that's It's Full of Sparks. It's another game. It's free. It's universal. And then there's Judge. But keep in mind that instead of you, it's a Y. So it's J-Y-D-G-E. In case you're searching on the App Store, it comes from Ten Tons, the maker of Azken and Sparkle and Neon Chrome and... One of the, time recoil time recoil and so with the latter two they're both kind of these top-down shooter games and judge fits in that it kind of has a judge dread vibe where you play as this essentially robot cop and you're gonna try to break into different places to then take out the villains and whatever situation it starts with hostages and it becomes more complex and it's just that kind of top action top-down action shooter where you have dual stick controls and you have a set mission where you get to see the entire landscape of the building and you get to see where the dis- different hostages are, where the different enemies are, and try to kind of plan your route because there's only certain entry points. And then you need to be delicate. It's not like I'm just going to come in with a machine gun or shotgun and just blast away everything. So you have to be a little bit more delicate than that. And then as you proceed through the levels, you're going to get all kinds of different upgrades. And that's kind of the differentiator of the game because me and Brett could play the same exact game, but if I choose certain upgrades and he chooses different ones, it will play back differently for us just because of those different upgrade paths. Right, yeah, and the the cool thing about the upgrades is that's really the real hook of the game because 
they are going to help you make or break whether or not you could complete a mission. So like I unlocked one thing, which I am so happy I unlocked this thing. And it's a passive ability where as soon as I get close to an enemy, it shoots out like an electric spark and starts electrocuting them. So I can walk around and kind of take out enemies without actually having to fire. And when you fire, it seems to alert some of the other ones. And you don't have to worry about accidentally shooting a hostage because your electric bolt only goes against enemies. It won't hit a, a hostage. So you don't accidentally going to kill someone and then have to restart in order to, to complete that mission. So it's become like an awesome extra little ability that I have. And I'm right now I'm building up. So there's four of these locations where you can do like the bigger non-passive ones. And you have to, un you get two of them, I think right from the start and the other two, you have to unlock by earning crystals or whatever the currency is in the game. You do this over time and then you can unlock additional spots that you can equip more abilities onto your character. And there's different firing types, there's different weapons. So you can play with them all and they are going to be the things that kind of help you to complete the various missions. And you're not going to necessarily be able to complete all three of the missions in one run on a level, especially if it's one where there's like a speed run aspect, we have to go in and complete it within like 25 seconds. The first time you're going to get the lay of the land, figure out how the levels laid out, where these items you're going to need are. And then maybe you can, complete two of the missions and now you go give the mission a third a second try to complete that or the level a second try to complete that third mission and so there's some replayability there where you're going to want to go back and do, redo levels in order to get all the missions done yeah it's a really just well done setup where you want to kind of keep playing through the different levels to access those different upgrades and just change things up the levels aren't the most varied. It's kind of similar vibe going on with each one. They become more complex, more rooms to go through, more enemies to deal with. But it's kind of the same way to play each time you go in. So that was a little limiting on the overall engagement. But it's a really well-produced game. And it's just, if you like any kind of top-down shooter game, you'll definitely enjoy all the different ways you can play this one. Right, yeah, and if you like stealth-type games, it almost has that feel because you can't go in guns blazing because you're going to kill the hostages you're going to rescue. So it has some kind of like stealth aspects to it as well. So any of those type of games that you like, this kind of has all those bits and pieces in there. And I agree with you, like the kind of the, the repetitiveness of the levels, I mean, not layout wise but content wise they do kind of get a little repetitive but that's where the missions kind of help out where they change up what you have to do but it is definitely a very well done game yeah the the stealth aspect is definitely different because usually in top-down shooters you're constantly firing away you're just blasting non-stop and so this you have to be more delicate with your firing range and that changes the way that you play the game yeah and so that's Jidge, <laughs> it's Judge, <laughs> it's four ninety nine, and it's Universal. And then to round out the week is Mind Construct, which is an interesting little kind of quick action game where you drag your finger to try to collect these little crosses, and then you try to deliver them back to the center point. And there's all kinds of obstacles floating around. So you, it's a really touch-centric game, 
And each of those memories is going to contribute to this subtle little baby tiny sci-fi storyline. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a full-on, you know, like choose-your-own-adventure storyline or anything, but just a subtle little thing beyond just a sequence of levels. And so it gives you more incentive to collect these little pieces. And then there's a whole little risk-reward system because you can go and pick up one cross and then go back to the center and deposit it. Or say you want to cut the screen in half and you go and try to get all the pieces on the bottom and then you go and deliver them at the center and then you go back out into the top. Because if you get hit by anything, whatever you've collected is removed from you and it goes back out to where it was on the field. So you want to kind of always balance that because you have a limited amount of time to collect everything. And if you're busy redoing things that you've already collected, you might not end up getting anything, especially because the obstacles cave in towards the center and it makes it really difficult to get back. Pretty much impossible to get back if you haven't made your way by the time they start moving inwards. Yeah, yeah. It's it's this whole circular notion to the game where you start out in the center of the circle and then everything, all the obstacles you're going to have to avoid kind of move out from the center. And then they stay there for a certain amount of time. They're circling around. They're coming in and out. But this one main circle kind of stays out. And when that starts creeping back in, it brings all of those other obstacles in with it. And if that's when you know as soon as that starts moving, you have to make your way back to the center. Otherwise, yeah, you're right. You're never going to get back in because there's very limited spaces for you to weave around and make it back in there to drop off the stuff you've collected. And for each one of the levels, you have to collect a certain amount of those crosses or the memory fragments in order to unlock the memory. And they do a nice job within the game of kind of really varying those obstacles you have to avoid with each level. So maybe the first one, it's like these balls are kind of going in and out, pulsing in and out. And then the next one, there's they don't do a lot on the outside, but they have these rotating little segments of of a circle that are kind of blocking your entrance back into the center and you have to wait for an opening and then race in there with your stuff so you, you don't want to be out too long because if you miss that tiny little window that will open up just for like a second then you're never going to be able to deliver your stuff and you're going to have to redo the level to collect enough of these memory fragments and it was kind of a surprising I, I didn't know much about it and i hopped into it the that whole sci-fi story is really they they try to build it up in the app description. It's it's pretty minor with the in in far as like the gameplay as a whole. It's more of a if you, this little dodging avoidance type finger dragon game that you is easy to just quickly pick up and play anytime you have time. And so well seems pretty well made from what I played thus far. Yeah, the variation between. So it seems like you get a set of three kind of puzzles, and then you try to collect as many memories in that set. Then it banks to your overall cache until you unlock the next memory sequence. And then after those three, there's a new kind of difficulty sequence. And like you said, it really has nice differences from section to section. So it's not like, oh, I get to drag through these same things over and over again. So at least, you know, you keep a little bit freshness over a relatively simple mechanic of drag around the screen and avoid obstacles. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of these avoid obstacle games out there. It does warn you that you're not always going to have three rounds in each level. So you do have to, in some levels, really go after the stuff that's out there to make sure you grab enough, depending on how many rounds there end up being, in order to hit that goal. But it's uh, it's definitely a, a, a one you should check out and, and give it a try. Yep, so that's Mind Construct. It's free, it's universal, and I think that's everything for episode 51. Yep, that's all I got. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed, and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.